2: Bad boys what you gonna do when they come for you Alexandre
1: This is Arscast Extra Hello and welcome to another Arscast Extra as always with James from Conor Blog James after 3 long weeks without Arsenal Goodly morning to you
2: Oh goodly morning it's a relief isn't it Oh my it's god like, It was like kind of pre-season all over again we even had little uh, you know, trip abroad in there for the team. Um, I, 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 it, it was strange almost walking to the ground last night after such a long break. I was like, is this,
1: are we, what's is this real? now? Is this a, is what, this a new season? Yes. Yeah, exactly. In, what, what, what dimension am I in? What's happening here? Who are all these it, people? It was odd,
2: especially after a weekend waiting for the game as well. You know, having to watch everyone else tucked back into the Premier League fair and having to be the last team
1: to play, that was particularly pronounced, I thought. It was a bit. Something we're going to have to get used to this month because we have two more games on Monday nights. But in fairness, waiting over the course of this weekend, there was some, you know, uh, hilarity, it might Mm -hmm. be said, given what happened at Anfield in the final moments of the game when Spurs, well and truly, spurs the shite out of it.
2: Yeah, that was quite extraordinary. And I I was quite worried about them getting a point because I thought, you know, with that and with the new stadium, I mean, this week, I didn't want any sort of thing that might you know, give them a bit of a boost, a bit of momentum. So for them to lose in the circumstances they
1: did was particularly enjoyable. And I, I, for one, actually think they should be ducked points for playing games in two different stadiums during the course of the season. I know there's absolutely no rule to say that that's what should happen, but I feel like it should anyway. This is my strong, firm belief that that's the right course of action for the Premier League to take, even though there's no precedent or or actual reason for it. Sure. I think it should happen.
2: Do you know what? I know that it was sort of h- h- half-joking, but it does feel... We had a question about this, actually, but it does feel a little bit uh, odd to me that they sort of are allowed to do this so late in the season. Like yeah. It does seem like it's it's literally moving the goalposts, isn't it? Across London,
1: yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, uh, I don't know if there's any real significant advantage to them because it's a new stadium and and what have you. But I just feel, perhaps, for the for the integrity of the Premier League, James, something mm. which we and everybody who loves football holds high. I feel like we should protect the integrity of this league that sells its arse for money all over the place.
2: Yeah. It's and so precious, is, that
1: integrity. Exactly. And this is going against that. And I don't know how anybody can look, look themselves in the mirror in Premier League HQ this morning and say, have we done the right thing? Are we allowing the competition to be as fair as it possibly could be? I don't think they can. Do you think the shame will, will eat away at their souls?
2: I think they should be very ashamed of themselves. And I, I imagine their souls, which in no way they have sold to this point, those at the Premier League... Correct. ...may finally begin
1: to be corrupted. And that's a sad thought. That is a sad thought. Where it could go from here is anybody's guess, but it's down downhill all the way. Downhill all the way. Anyway, look, we, we'll enjoy the shenanigans when they lose their first game at their new stadium in midweek, of course. But let's talk mm. about our game. We wanted to get back uh, to winning ways after a three-week break. We did exactly that. We kept another clean sheet... And we moved above that lot, who were how far ahead of us? Three weeks ago, four weeks ago, like uh, ten points? Something like 10 that. Ten points. Yeah. Crowing like crowy crows, they were, sitting on a on a crowbar. That's what they were doing. And now, look how the crow has turned.
2: The crow has turned. And the early crow didn't catch any worms no we have caught worms is that good or bad it is sounds, good i mean look i think it sounds if, you, worse than if it. you're
1: a crow worms are delicious right and we've had delicious worms to keep us going uh from last night to this morning a two nil win against newcastle let's talk about the team any surprises in there for you i mean based on what we now know Um, Lauren Koscielny pulled out very late with an injury Granit Xhaka didn't recover from the groin strain that he picked up on international duty and Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang was ill uh, in the build-up to the game Uh, based on that knowledge rather than your pre-game knowledge of like oh that's a a bit odd where are those guys Uh, any surprises about the team that he picked?
2: Not really I mean no surprise to me that he kept with the back three kept the wing backs in uh, I suppose from that point on, it all made sense. I was a little bit concerned, I'll be honest, about central midfield, just because, mm. you know, it was no Shaka and no Terreira, Uh And Ganduzi and Ramsey, I thought, you know, defensively, is that going to have what we need? But one thing I didn't reckon on, really, was Newcastle being one of the most boring teams I can imagine. I mean, they are
1: deathly dull, in my opinion. There's, uh, um, there's a... There's a pragmatism to the way that they approach games, isn't there? Particularly these big games where they go, we're actually not very good and therefore we're going to just sit deep and make it as difficult as possible for the opposition to get past us. A five-man defense was very much a five-man defense and everybody else was basically tucking in. You can see how they would try and hit us on the break, but I think we defended quite well on the front foot, actually, uh, for the most part. There were one or two moments where, where a ball from deep might have caused us some problems. Thankfully, it didn't. But generally speaking, you know, we dominated them, we dominated possession, and they really had no idea what to do other than stick to the game plan. Yeah, exactly that, and
2: and to a certain extent, I can un- understand the logic from Benitez's point of view. I mean, they're seven points clear of the relegation places, but at this stage of the season, every point will count for them, you know. And I, I think there was a sense of well, as, as long as we stay in the game, if we can keep it at one nil, we might be able to make them a bit nervy. And I suppose to an extent, they there was a little bit of nervousness, certainly from the fans within the ground the second half. But I thought this was a very Controlled, composed performance from Arsenal. And when I sort of sit back from it, I kind of think this is the kind of performance I imagine Unai Emery has been sort of wanting this team to produce for some time.
1: Isn't it the kind of performance as well that you might attribute to a team that you know, might be slightly higher up the table or has higher ambitions, you know, or or one of the big teams. You know, if you're a big team, you're just back off a three-week break. You're not match-sharp, really. You need to get back going again. You've got a few injury problems. Um, you keep a clean sheet. You win 2-0. You control a game. It was very professional it wasn 't particularly exhilarating or exciting. There were some moments, of course, but it just felt like a really professional performance to do the job that we needed to get done and you if you know if Liverpool did it or City did it or Manchester United or Chelsea did it, you 'd be saying, yep, yeah, that was a routine when a team that was better than the opposition did what they had to do, no fuss. And there's a lot to like about that. Yeah,
2: I think that's a, a really good point. And something I was struck by I listened to the Ask Cast on Friday that you did with 7am kickoff, where mm. you talked about some of the stats from this season. And one of the things that came up was that we'd had uh, less shots. This season, and uh, I think we only had something like eight shots in the game. Uh, but you know, it was as a consequence of the fact that we were in control. We did not go need to go chasing this game at any point, really. And sort of, you know, having pot shots from all over the place, we were able to be a bit more patient in our in our build up. And uh, yeah, I I, uh, I thought it was a really good performance. And yeah, I mean, I think a sign of a team that is playing with. A bit of confidence and a bit of confidence, not just in their ability, but I think in the
1: system that they're playing as well. Yeah, for sure. So um, we should have been ahead earlier than we were. What's your thoughts on that uh, first disallowed goal? Aaron Ramsey finishing at the back post after a, a Mesozo? I think it was an Ozil corner was flicked on. Um, yeah. Anthony Taylor apparently saw the incident. But did you did you check out Sky afterwards? I don't know if you saw this, you might not have seen it, because they showed a replay about five or six minutes after the the decision and they have that new Sky thing, you know, where they go, This is the referee's eye view yeah. and it it swoops into this these graphics that look like they're off a 1983 Commodore 64. Um, this is very exciting. <laughs> yeah, state-of-the-art fucking stuff, it has to be said. Uh, but they showed from this particular angle that Anthony Taylor couldn't possibly have seen the foul. All he saw was the player falling over. Now, maybe because it was Socrates, he just assumed <laughs> that there'd been a foul. <laughs> Which is a fair assumption. I would
2: say nine times out of ten.
1: I didn't uh, think... Look, I think if you're going to give a foul for that one way or the other, you know, it could have gone either way. They were both holding on to each other. So if you're going to give a foul to Newcastle, it could just as easily have been a penalty to Arsenal.
2: Yeah, possibly. I mean, I'm going to watch it again. My first instinct was uh, that I thought it probably was a foul, but I just didn't like it that it was a foul because, you know, I'm an Arsenal fan. I want to score. Okay. I couldn't... Let me watch it now. So the corner comes in from Erzl. There's a flip from Kolasinac. I mean, the problem is you end up watching the ball, so you don't just see it. So Socrates they're holding each other, Lejeune. I think he kind of buys it, the player. He kind of buys it, doesn't he? Because Socrates is holding his hand, essentially.
1: Yeah, holding his forearm, and he just sort of falls over.
2: Yeah, I, yeah. Think, he, I think as the ball comes over his head, he goes, we're in trouble here. And he goes to ground. But I think the fact that he is holding him mm. you know means means you sort of can't really argue with that decision. In my opinion, you know, I think it's probably the right call.
1: But you see, here's the thing, I can see every bit of logic in what you're saying there, every single <laughs> bit of it. But because it's Anthony Taylor, sure. I'm, I'm I'm absolutely loath to get on board here. And I think it's just one of those things that happens in the box week in, week out um, that doesn't get punished. And I don't know how he's given it, you know, based on the Commodore 64 uh, replay that we see a bit later on. I don't know if uh, I can find it here. I'm just going to go forward and just see if I can find this replay and uh, show you the screenshot of it.
2: Oh, yeah. I, I find this technology from Sky quite confusing because everyone's like, it's very exciting. It's a very new technology. But I'm sure they had this like 15 years ago where yeah. they would sort of go into a player's head and like show you what they can see. There, um, I've just
1: taken a screenshot of it. I'm going to upload it here and I'm going to send it to you and you can see what Anthony Taylor apparently could see if these graphics are uh, as accurate as Sky like to say they are. I mean, that's that's the thing. Uh, maybe he's got you know bendy eyes that can look around the corner or something. So we we uh, never know, We're never going to know what Anthony Taylor could see. Here, here comes the screenshot. I'm just going to send it to you on the uh, the chat doohickey here. Okay. Uh, as soon as I can remember how to get the chat doohickey up there, it is down the bottom. I'm
2: excited. Am I going to see the bridge of Anthony Taylor's nose? No, know, I mean in that's the, in the foreground of the shot.
1: Yeah, that's a shame, isn't it? Like when they yeah. like when they put a GoPro on an albatross. You know, that way. (laughs) Maybe that's what they should do. You see, he can't see. He can't see. It's a a travesty of justice. It should have been a goal. Was the linesman involved? He didn't give it. The linesman, if you watch the goal again, watch the linesman as uh, the ball goes into the back of the net. He puts his flag down and does that thing where he runs runs back up the pitch as if signalling a goal. That's what the Linesman does. So I don't think the Linesman was involved here at all.
2: Yeah, you're right. The Linesman's <laughs> heading back to the centre yeah. Linesman's
1: going, good goal, good goal. Yeah. Well, I,
2: I, in that case, and now that I can see what Anthony Taylor could see out of... I mean, he can basically see Scott Staffy's bum, basically, is obscuring everything. Um, I, I can't understand how he's given it, but now that he has, I sort of can't argue with it. Because it's one of those where people go, oh, we need VAR. But if VAR existed... I think that girl's getting choked off.
1: Right. Anyway, look. I think the basic point is that uh, Anthony Taylor is, Listen, is history's yeah, I don't greatest monster. On your
2: Anthony Taylor parade. Yeah. Okay. I mean, I, I did think his officiating generally in the game was pretty curious. I must say. Mm. Uh, he, he, well, I don't know what your impression was at home, and obviously I don't have the benefit of, of replays or commentary during the game, but it felt like he let a lot go. That I, was my sense.
1: Yeah. I'm not sure that I got that impression, certainly watching the game. I didn't get that impression. It was more about those big decisions and the the second disallowed goal. I thought there was uh, a yellow card for Monreal, which was maybe a little bit harsh because he went in with his studs. Uh, A yellow card for Kalasinac, which I kind of enjoyed because obviously. What was that for? for Kalasinac had been like obviously saying something to him. During the game, and at one point he yeah. called Ramsey over, and he, you know, Ramsey was the captain. He said, "Look, have a word with this big Bosnian guy. I'm scared of him. I'm not having a word with him. You have a word. You're the captain." And Kolasinac must have kept chirping away, and at some point after another foul, uh, he gave him a he gave him a yellow card. Um, but I'm not it was quite like sure. After a free
2: kick, he awarded to us, as I recall. I think Arsenal got the free kick, but it Kolasinac was it was
1: probably like... a bit of like about fucking time, mate. You baldy prick. Yeah.
2: Yeah, probably that, Yeah, probably that, in a heavy Bosnian accent.
1: Yeah, I don't know what that is, and I don't want to do a stereotypical Eastern European accent uh, to offend anybody, so I won't do that. Um, So, after that, I think the game kind of was a bit weird after that disallowed goal, and then we got an actual goal, Aaron Ramsey, a little bit Mm -hmm. of luck with the way that the The ball broke back to him from Lacazette, but I was watching both the goals again and both of them, I'm not sure you can necessarily attribute too much to Matteo Ganduzzi in terms of the goals themselves because so much happened after what he did, but both of them came from him making a pass from just inside the Newcastle half and playing it forward into the feet of an Arsenal player. The first one for Ramsey, second one for Lacazette. Ramsey, a lovely flick around the corner to Lacazette, took it on, went into the box, the ball broke for Ramsey, and there was nothing Anthony Taylor could do about this uh, about this particular goal. Uh, left foot in off the post.
2: Yeah, and I think that is one of the things that Kanduji does bring to the team, maybe over someone like nenny, who I thought came on and did fine. But Gendouzi's first thought is always to look forward. And it is two forward passes that help create those goals. And both one-twos as well, of sorts. I mean, Ramsey does get that bit of luck. Mm. But he does follow in very, very well. And it's a very, really composed finish. I mean, not his strong side, his left foot. Uh, and he just kind of caresses it into the far corner and off the post. Perfect finish. And he, particularly in the first half, was brilliant last
1: Ramsey. Yeah, yeah, I thought so too. I thought we were a bit flat, you know, coming back from an international break, that's that's not unexpected at all. But I thought if anyone was driving the team forward in the first half, it, it was Ramsey. Um, you know, he was kind of everywhere because there were moments early on, maybe in the first 20, 25 minutes, I was looking at our midfield and I was thinking, you know what, I can see how we're missing Xhaka in this midfield. Mm. Um, you know, and I know he's a player who frustrates at times. But just in terms of where he picks the ball up and how he pick, how he distributes the ball from those deep areas, that was kind of missing. And I think it took us a little bit of time to come to terms with having to play a slightly different way with Keduzi, who likes a lot of touches. Ramsey, you know, who who likes to get forward, isn't necessarily the guy who's going to sit uh, sit very deep. But there were even moments when when Ramsey was back defending, there was a moment. Newcastle broke the offside trap, and Ramsey, Ramsey was there to to defend against whichever fucking stripy cunt it was. I can't remember. Um, you know, so he worked really hard in in that first half, and probably that contributed a bit to his uh, to his withdrawal in in the second half. Thankfully, it appears to be just cramp. Uh, I was a bit worried that he might have aggravated a a thigh problem that he had um, on international duty, or or a calf, or something like that. But I think he's at a point now where he knows where the line is in terms of um, how he he can manage a game. And if he continues, he's likely to do himself some damage. So hopefully, you know, there was a bit of common sense applied there from the player and obviously the Arsenal medical staff who took him off.
2: Yeah, I mean, Emery said it was Cramp after the game and 67 minutes he came off, which is pretty early for Cramp. I mean, I think that speaks to... Quite how much ground he covered in that first half. Mm. And yeah, I think it's really important that he doesn't pick up a major injury at this stage because he has become crucial really to the way we're playing. And I thought. I was concerned, like I said, a little bit about Central Midfield going into the game, but the, Ramsey's performance really allayed those fears. I thought he was fantastic and he deserved the goal, certainly, especially after having the, the first one chalked off. Yeah.
1: Can we talk just a little bit before we go into the second half about that chance at the end of the first half? Brilliant play lack from is Arsenal. Out the Lacazette one, but, you know, Iwobi with a back heel down the line to Kolasinac mm. inside, uh, to Ramsey, to Ozil, back to Kolasinac. Uh, brilliant piece of defending off the line from Ritchie. Uh, but that would have been an amazing goal and I think that kind of football and we saw that a little bit more in the second half as well was really encouraging you know the team finally um, finding a bit of rhythm and a bit of uh, uh, cohesion uh, towards the end of that first half yeah it was the speed of
2: the passing I think that was so impressive in that move and also once we got into the, the penalty box I mean Mesut Ozil actually it initially looks like he might be able to go for the shot but he shows real calmness and perhaps unsurprisingly inside the penalty area to kind of keep the ball under control it back to and actually finds Lacazette it's also I must say a brilliant turn from yeah. Lacazette to turn and hit the shot like that that's not easy at all and he gets real power and real accuracy in it I it's really unlucky it would have been a fantastic goal um I was struck, but in the commentary, I just watched it back on Sky, Alan Smith saying, oh, Lacazette, with his wrong foot there, his right foot. I what? was like, what, what player have you been watching? <laughs> but, um, yeah, look, uh, a fantastic move and would have been a, a worthy goal. And I think that's worth saying, actually, that even though, how many shots? We had seven shots in the game. Mm. Uh, we could well have won this game 4 or 5 nil. There was real efficiency to our Attacking play.
1: Yeah, you know, if uh, some chap hadn't disallowed a couple of our goals, we might well have. Uh, half our goals. Half yeah. our fucking goals. Jesus
2: Christ. It's not like goal difference might be really important at the end of the season or anything. Yeah.
1: Yeah. God damn. Now I'm angry again. I'm not really. Yeah, sorry. I'm not really. Don't worry. Um, second half, it was kind of more of the same, wasn't it? Lots of Arsenal possession, lots of domination. Newcastle doing very little. Um, I did like the introduction of Aubameyang, though, because I think what he did was uh, at a point in the game when Newcastle were, where they had to sort of say, well, we better try something (laughs) because Mm -hmm. we're not getting anywhere the way we're playing. And I think they brought on um, Key and they brought on Kennedy and they brought on uh, another striker. Obama Yang's presence on the pitch changed the way that we played a little bit. And you, you think of that way. He went down the right-hand side, a great cross into the middle, which the goalkeeper came out and did very well with. But I think it was a, a good use of his substitute by, by Emery um, at that point in the game. Because, you know, at 1-0, despite how much you're in control and how comfortable everything is, it only takes a moment for that, uh, for that lead to be, to be gone whether it's a mistake at the back or a set piece or, you know, just yeah. something, a lapse in concentration. And it's always a little bit nervy. So I like the fact that we, um, you know, we went for it a bit more again. Emery not quite being as cautious as we've seen him be at times this season. Let's get a striker on.
2: Yeah, I mean, you know, protagonist is the word that he used in his first press conference. And this was a very proactive change he inverted the front three switched it to sort of two strikers with a number 10 in behind and you know it's just a huge test for any any defense to be up against Aubameyang and Lacazette in that final half hour especially when Aubameyang looks pretty fresh to be honest I mean I don't know what sort of illness he had but he he didn't seem to be carrying the effects of it in that half hour maybe we would have seen it if he'd played more and I think Newcastle were playing with a back three themselves so just having two strikers there gave them a lot to worry about and uh I mean, look, we all know it paid massive dividends on the, the second goal.
1: Yes, yes, it did. Uh, the second goal from Alexandra Lacazette, again, Guendouzi pass. He just kind of flicked it up in the air. I'm not sure it was quite as uh, measured as he might have liked. Uh, but mm. Aubameyang's header, when you look at it again, is a really, really good header. He guides that header into an area where if the defender misses it, Lacazette can take advantage, and that's exactly what happened.
2: Yeah, I must say, I sort of agree with you. I think it's a lovely goal to watch and the finish is particularly uh, beautiful. But I also think that it's pretty bad defending throughout on the goal. I mean, Lacazette sort of flicks the ball about 30 yards in the air and then a (laughs) header goes similar and then it bounces. Uh, Newcastle really should have dealt with it better than they did. But once Lacazette gets there, the way he lifts it over the keeper... Is brilliant. Uh, I know that you sort of have been harbouring a feeling that he's going to score some big goals between now and the end of the mm. season. That was quite a big goal because although Newcastle weren't massively threatening, you never know at 1 yeah. 0. You know, potentially they were going to sort of throw the kitchen sink at us in that last 10 minutes. Uh, and they have players who are sort of decent in the air, like Rondon. So there was a little bit of concern there, but that just settled everybody's nerves and uh, wrapped the game up.
1: Yeah, I have to say, I'm really, really impressed. With Lacazette, I think as the season has gone on, he's become more and more important. I feel like he feels he's an important player in this team now. You know, last season, you could sense his frustration because he was in and out. He was being taken off after 60 minutes or 70 minutes. He had that spell out with a knee injury as well, which obviously uh, hampered uh, his form and hampered his rhythm. But this season, he looks like somebody who has become one of the senior players in this squad, doesn't he? And it's not mm-hmm. just about his goal contributions um, and him scoring or his assists. I just think the, the way that he plays is, if you're looking for somebody in this team who you could say leads by example in terms of how they play the game, there are a couple you might talk about, you know, Socrates, who's aggressive, Ramsey, who always wants to be on the ball and never hides, but Lacazette... In terms of what he's doing, how he's defending, chasing back, you know, harrying defenders from the front, um, and of course, you know, scoring a very important goal last night, I think he is right up there with our players of the season. Definitely.
2: He's he's become a talisman. And it's funny, you know, we think of him in Aubameyang, he's the younger guy, probably the guy with less profile, but... It strikes me at times, certainly in the last few weeks, he's felt like the senior partner there. You know, he's the guy who's given the ball to Aubameyang to score the penalty and sort of had the quiet word in his ear. And he's the guy who I would back to finish the chances out of the two at the moment. I mean, what he's contributing as an all-round centre-forward is excellent. And I thought his performance last night was was up there with some of the best that he's produced but what you would have to say about as well is that he does tend to produce in big games big moments Mm. he seems to relish those occasions and uh, I like his attitude as much as his ability and the way he's responded to Aubameyang's arrival to the change in manager has been fantastic and I think yeah I think he looks you know almost twice the player he did at times last season so yeah He's, he's really been superb, and whatever he's found, let's hope he keeps going.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I don't quite understand why people can't see this in him. I had a tweet from a guy called Kar- Karthik Gunner who said somebody was referring to him as the French James Beatty. You're like, what the fuck are you watching? Whoever that was, what are you watching? You know, to, to label him in that way, I think he's, mm. you know, easily in the top three players of this season for us, if not pushing to be our, our player of the season.
2: Yeah, I think I guess maybe people who don't watch the club week in week out, they just look at the goal scoring charts and because Aubameyang has got more goals, maybe that puts Lacazette in the shade somewhat. But I think if you look at their their overall contributions, it's really easy to see what Lacazette brings to this team and I think those who watch him week in week out really appreciate him. Certainly the fans really do. I mean there's a really close bond I think between the supporters and Lacazette, you know, mm. his song gets sung with more vigor than most and I mean almost any time he's brought off by the manager seems to provoke uproar in the stands. And I think that is because you know the the commitment that he shows on the field uh, just really endears him to supporters. I think that they sort of recognise that they recognise the effort and they recognise the selflessness in a lot of what he does. Yeah. You know, I'm pleased for him every time he gets a goal because he spends a lot of the game doing sort of dirty work that you're not necessarily gonna get. That much praise for. It's going to appear on the highlights. Uh, but when the chances come his way, I mean, some of the finishes from him this season have been exquisite.
1: Yeah. Uh, another goal disallowed uh, right at the end. Uh, a strange one. Mm-hmm. Anthony Taylor seemed to signal for handball, even though it was clearly off the goalkeeper's hand. And goalkeepers, as we know, are allowed use their hands. They're allowed to handle yes. the ball they are. Uh, It could have been for something else, could have been for obstruction. Either way, no reason to disallow that goal. I think I'm going to write an album about Anthony Taylor, and I'm going to call it Baldy Shitbag. Might not get on the, sh- uh, on the shelves of Woolworths. Is All that Wars. not
2: the greatest hits of Phil Collins, that
1: album? <laughs> Maybe uh, I'll make it a double album then, yeah.
2: Okay. Uh, yeah, no, I I back you up on this 100%. No idea. I mean, actually, because I was behind that goal in real time, I assumed that Lacazette had handled it. But then when I saw the way in which he protested it, I was like, I believe him. He did not handball that ball. So quite what the referee was thinking there. I mean, if we do miss out on Champions League by one goal, Oh, Anthony Taylor's going to be in for some Ooh. some treatment next time he comes back to the That's a
1: paddling. That's yeah. a paddling, let me tell you. Talk to me, James, about Mesut uh, He?
2: Uh, am I going to get in trouble? No, it's fine now. Everything's fine. It's all in the past. Uh, he, Great pass for Aubameyang. That was a beautiful yeah. ball. I saw people saying oh, Aubameyang should have finished that. I don't know. I mean, it's a tricky angle, I think.
1: It is, yeah. yeah. He was pushed quite uh, wide, in fairness. Yeah.
2: And he got a lot of power in the strike. I think Mesut Ozil is fully reintegrated now. And I think the fact that he stayed on as long as he did, 84 minutes, uh, tells you what Emery makes of him and how important he mm. suddenly is in this team. And I think, you know, whatever went on between the player and the manager, and I think you'd have to be crazy to think something didn't, It seems to have been consigned to the past and right now that's working for us because his use of the ball throughout the game was very intelligent. And what I was encouraged by was Ozil sometimes does that thing where he kind of, you know, he presses, but in a way that's a little bit half-hearted. Like it's it's kind of indicative of a press, but he doesn't actually commit to it at times. And I thought against Newcastle, he went into a couple of challenges, even a couple of aerial challenges Mm. that I raised an eyebrow at and thought that's a little bit different from him actually
1: yeah I mean the thing we've always said is that if we can get uh, uh, Mesut back in the team and in form or something approaching you know the kind of form we know he can have our chances of finishing in the top four are much higher um, because of the quality that he has. And I think it's quite interesting. I think that's his fourth consecutive start, which is the most he's made this season. And he looks like a player who's who's coming back into form at maybe just the right time.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, we, we talked about him and Ramsey being reinstalled and slightly leaning on the experience there too. Uh, you know, we, we are a team that's trying to get back into the Champions League, and Mesut Ozil is a Champions League calibre player, mm. especially on his day, and he's having more good days than bad ones at the moment. I think it's definitely healthy, and it's really interesting as well. I think we've got a question about this potentially coming up, to think what it might mean going forward, because I think a few months ago, many of us assumed that mm. the relationship between Ozil and Arsenal was kind of irrevocably broken, but
1: Perhaps not. Perhaps not. Perhaps not. Well, I mean, it looks it looks much healthier than it did. And mm. from an Arsenal point of view, with just Arsenal on your mind, that's uh, you know that's something I think we can we can all get behind. So, anything else you can think of in terms of you know what we saw last night? Is there anybody else you want to touch on, or or the overall performance? I mean, when you come back from an international break, it can take you a game or two to get going. So, above all else important to get the three points, important to keep a clean sheet. And given what happened over the weekend in the Premier League, it was important that we took those points and moved ahead of Tottenham because, you know, they've got to be feeling the pressure now.
2: They must be, yeah. And I mean, you know, Chelsea squeaked a win, didn't they? I don't know if you saw mm. that game. Mm. again. That was, I mean, you know, some consolation in seeing Neil Warnock very upset and doing that slightly funny standing in the centre circle staring down the referee thing. But Chelsea absolutely got away with
1: that one. He Uh, was about two yards offside as Pellicuena when he scored that goal.
2: Yeah, he was very clearly offside. I mean, bizarrely, I have a touch of sympathy with the, the linesman in that situation just because... Because he's going backwards, you know, if his if his watch if his eyes flick to the ball and then they flick back to the line, I could see how he could see. Oh, he's in line, but he's come mm. back. He's retreated from an offside position. I mean, that is one that obviously the technology would rule out straight away. And, and now there was a kind of inevitability as soon as they got that one about them getting the second goal. But look, we probably predicted Chelsea to beat Cardiff. I think most people. Would we know.
1: we did somebody asked us? Uh, let me just see if I can find it here while I'm talking. Uh, asked us to just go over our predictions. Uh, Daryl Anthony Horn uh, says, uh, How do recent results compare to the predictions? He's at Hey Hey Handsome on Twitter and Robert Clegg at Bounder Boy. Please update us on the predictions tomorrow. So, in terms of this weekend's games, we both predicted an Arsenal win over Newcastle. We mm-hmm. both predicted a Manchester United win over Watford. We both predicted a Chelsea win over Cardiff. Mm-hmm. And we both predicted a Tottenham defeat to Liverpool. Woohoo! Look at that. There we go. It's yeah. a clean sweep. 4 out of 4. Um, for this weekend, of course there's another game uh, tomorrow Manchester United uh, Manchester United playing Wolves. Yes, um, I've gone for a draw in that and one. And I've gone for a United win, so obviously I hope you're right, uh, but also I hope you're wrong in that it's a Manchester United defeat. Uh, that would be good. Um,
2: <laughs> Is there Are there any other games of relevance? Obviously Spurs play, don't they, they're in their first game at the New Oh, Stadium. they're
1: playing Crystal Palace, in which I predicted a draw and you predicted a win. I'm hoping the new surroundings are so weird and unfamiliar that uh that they just can't pass the ball properly
2: well we didn't win our first uh, league game at the emirates we stadium, only
1: we? just about drew it, didn't we if i recall Won correctly all the was Aston it a, Villa, was it Gilberto, theo, or Gilberto, Gilberto. penalty the theo
2: cross oh, okay. i believe
1: right yeah. i remember watching that game in a bar in barcelona um back back in the day um yeah i also kind of hope that like a load of the seats aren't screwed in properly and, sure. they, and they fall off, and that the yes. turnstiles don't work, and that the bogs get all clogged up. Like they've figured out. All of a sudden, they realise that the toilets aren't plumbed, and a load of toilet paper just blocks up the entire system, and then the pitch gets submerged with water and plop. Well, then it would really would look like a toilet bowl from above. It would. It's what it's what it should what it should be. Uh, Hopefully like
2: a passing dragon sees it from above and it's like, that's a a giant toilet. That's a a huge dragon shit onto the stadium.
1: A big dragon BM in the center circle.
2: Yeah. I'd enjoy that.
1: Game of Thrones Uh, out, you motherfuckers.
2: (laughs) Um, Just before we move on, you said there's any other players I'd like to touch on. I, I, I do think the defence deserves some credit. I mean, it's another clean sheet. I think our defensive record over the last 10 games is Mm -hmm. dramatically improved. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think the wing-backs too. I mean, they're doing some really great work. And, you know, it's not long ago that we were looking at the right-back situation. I know we're playing with wing-backs now and thinking without Hector Beller and we kind of haven't got anything there. You know, alternating between sort of Mustafi and Licksteiner. Uh, And I think Maitland-Niles after the United game, had another really positive performance?
1: I thought uh, Maitland-Niles was very good again, and he does appear to be growing into that role. And over the course of the international break, I have to say I've I've grown fonder of Ainsley-Maitland-Niles because I watch one of those videos on Arsenal.com. You know those ones where they put the two players together and they ask them a load of questions like, you know, name the French World Cup winning squad from oh, I watched whatever. It. yeah. Did you watch Iwobi. that with Iwobi? With Iwobi, and Iwobi's quite funny, but... Maitland Niles, he's super, super dry sense of humor. And the last question is like, uh, who are the, you know, name the top 20 people in the world uh, who are most followed on Instagram. And one of his answers was like, I don't know, Oprah Winfrey. And he's <laughs> <laughs> going, come on, man, what is it? And he's going, I don't know about this shit. I know about football. That's what matters. I thought that was great. Yeah, yeah. He
2: he he he's a good character, but he's also a, a very good player by the looks of things. Mm. And I think, yeah, I think he's he's growing, and he seems to be. I liked watching some of his interactions on the pitch with teammates yesterday. You know, after he like just missed Aubameyang with a cross, the kind yeah. of moment between them, and there was little things that showed me that the the rest of the first team are kind of accepting him as, as one of their own and part of that group now and that's I think a really important thing for a young player
1: yeah absolutely uh, and you know given the fact Lichtsteiner wasn't even on the bench we had Jenkinson mm-hmm. on the bench I don't know if Lichtsteiner was injured or whether it's just the natural progression of this uh, this loan spell of his that um, you know hasn't really been too successful. You know, we seem to be going with Maitland-Niles. Emery's made his mind up, hasn't he? That he's the guy who's going to play in that position. It'll be interesting if and when he plays a back four again, if he uses mm. Maitland-Niles there. But I have a feeling that the back three, you know, he's really trying to wed this in because we've got five away games between now and the end of the season, it feels like the balance defensively seems a bit better now, particularly as when we're playing a back three, we're not playing with two deep-lying midfielders. We are playing with creative players, with Ozil, with Ramsey, with Lacazette, with Iwobi. You know, there's, there's more balance in the way that we're using the back three at the moment
2: yeah and balance is something we 've been looking for all season, I think particularly on the road we found it difficult to strike you know sometimes we 've been a little bit too negative or too passive. Uh, if we can keep the system and I think it is what we 'll keep for these away games and try and keep that intensity about our game that I think 's been really impressive. We've got a chance. I mean, it's 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 a little bit scary looking at it. Seven games to go, five of them away. I mean, that feels like a hell of a lot of away games at this point. But, you know, we've we've done everything we can really to put ourselves in a good position. And when you look at the league table, we are the front runners for that third spot. And a few weeks ago, that did not feel particularly plausible. So, no. uh, yeah, definitely positive signs. And we just got to hope that we can strike that balance when we go away from Absolutely. it. Absolutely.
1: And look, the manager deserves credit for that because yeah. he did go through a difficult period of the season. He was uh, criticized and I don't think there was anything wrong with the criticism that he received, you know, based on the teams he was selecting and the way we were playing. But he's, he's shifted it a little bit. You know, he's made a change and he's seen that that wasn't working. He's gone a slightly different direction. And the benefits are there. We're winning games. We're keeping clean sheets. So long may it continue. Long may it continue indeed. All right. We are going to take a break right now. We're going to come back with your questions and more in part two right after this.
0: Ready to pop the question?
1: Welcome back to the Arscast Extra. This is part two of the show where we answer the questions you sent to us on Twitter at GunnarBlog, at ArsBlog uh, on Twitter. Did I say on Twitter already? I think I did. Were you listening?
2: No, because no. Actually an autoplay video started playing on a browser and one of my tabs in my browser and i was desperately trying to find it right
1: it down right okay that's your excuse you're just going oh. i've heard this bit so many times i'm <laughs> not even going to listen you can also send questions on the uh, facebook page facebook.com forward slash the blog and on our discord server which is available to you if you are an Rsblog member on patreon a chat server and you can leave your questions in there just to let you know that Part two or episode two of a podcast series called The Players was released this week. Myself and Philippe O'Claire talking about the Arsenal life and times of, well, Robert Perez. So if you uh, fancy a bit of that, you can sign up at patreon.com forward slash It costs just five euros a month. You pay that if you're in the EU. If you're not in the EU, you don't pay that. You get instant access to all the content we have there. Uh, episode one of The Players was Dennis Bergkamp. So lots to listen to, lots to catch up on if you're not a member already. Patreon.com forward slash arsblog. Right. Let's do some questions.
2: Okay. Do you want to go first? No. Shall I go
1: first? No. Oh, I don't want to go first.
2: Okay, well, I alluded to these questions in part one. They're about Meza Erzl. And there are two two separate questions here. Mm. Um, the first one is from Gab, who's at the letter Gab. And Gab asks, Do you think Emery? has been proved right slash succeeded with remoulding Ozil as more switched on and hard working? Or did Urzel have these games in him all along and we've wasted the opportunity to play him? Where do you stand on that one?
1: Without wanting to open up the whole thing again, Mm. there have been problems this season. Mm. Whether people like to believe it or not, there have been problems behind the scenes. Um... I think Emery... I mean, I think we all know that Ozil is capable of these kind of performances, right? We know that he's got amazing vision and craft and quality. Were we seeing enough of it? Was it down to Emery's tactics? Was it down to Ozil and how he was feeling at that particular point in the season? Maybe a combination of all those things. Regardless, there were problems. Those problems now appear to be a thing of the past, and I think Emery deserves credit for... Uh, for the way he's handled the situation. I think a manager has to be or has to try and instill as much discipline as possible into a squad. And maybe it takes some players a bit more time to get used to it and a bit more time to, uh, to knuckle down and to understand this is what's expected of them, whether they're a star player or whether they're a young player, this is what the manager wants. Um, I think Ozil as well deserves some credit too. I mean, people will say, well, he, you know, he's paid £350,000 a week. You know, this is what he should be doing. I accept that, absolutely. But what can you do when a player starts producing and finding form on the pitch? No point criticizing him for uh, for that, you know? So mm. I, I do think Emery deserves credit for the way that he's, he's handled the situation. Ozil looks more interested. He looks more... Um, comfortable with what he's being asked to do he looks more involved in games he's more switched on he's more focused uh, at the things that he hasn't always been considered particularly good at and that that's his defensive work again you know Emery's not going to turn Mesodozil into a a slide-tackling behemoth. Well, what he can do is work on him from a positional point of view, even just being in the right positions um, when the opposition have the ball is of benefit to the side. And I think we're seeing more application from Ozil. And the other side of that is uh, a more switched on, a more uh, focused method. Ozil gives us more when he's on the ball and when we have the ball. So that's where I am with that. I think Emery deserves credit.
2: Yeah, I think... You're right to say both deserve credit, really. I mean, I think they've adapted to each other. There was a bit of intransigence, I think, for them Mm -hmm. both in the first half of the season. Probably it looked to me like both men kind of digging their heels in. And I understand entirely Mm. why a new coach would have to do that, really, and couldn't really allow their authority to be threatened by any individual player. However talented they are however high their salary might be but they seem to have found a way of working together now you know Emery we know he's a guy who is very focused on video analysis stats analysis and he must be pouring through those things after the game and being pleased enough by what he's seen from Ozil to, to keep picking him and so I think Ozil must be doing stuff you know that's beyond the obvious I think he is probably contributing more defensively he's probably covering more ground and I think just tactically he seems to understand his role a bit better so look i I'm relieved because it was a really toxic situation I felt uh, and one that really was causing problems within the club, outside the club for the fans. And so to see them on the same page now is definitely a positive. The the second question uh, that we had on the topic that I was going to ask you now, which way have I put it, is... Uh, from Naren, Naran Keshav on Twitter. Uh, and they ask, with Unai publicly saying Ozil is playing like we want, quote, are the chances of his summer transfer slim and how is this going to affect our recruitment?
1: I don't know if they're slim. I, I It occurred to me maybe that the where we finish this season might have an impact on what our decision might be when it comes to Mesut Ozil. Go on. in that. If we have Champions League football again, then that's the level that you want a player like Mesut Ozil, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think you called him in the first part of the show a Champions League player. Yeah. Um, with Champions League comes increased revenue, perhaps making it easier to to deal with the wage packet if that's an issue for the Arsenal board or for the people that run the club, you know, increased revenue will, will help in that regard. Um, your chances of performing at the Champions League level as well are greatly increased by, um, the quality of the squad that you have. So I have a suspicion, a sense, uh, sorry, that's not my snake impression. Um, that if we are to finish in the top four or achieve Champions League qualification via the Europa League, that Ozil is more likely to stay. However, if we don't, then they will see that £350,000 a week as a way to distribute across maybe three or four players who could then help us be part of a bigger rebuild. Do you know what I mean? Does that make sense? Yeah,
2: I, I can kind of understand that, that his salary maybe becomes a little bit easier to account for with Champions League. Um, I mean, you know, he's playing well and that makes me more inclined to think he's going to stay next season. I suppose the other side of that coin is he might be a little bit easier to move on than he was in January when he wasn't involved and wasn't pulling up any trees when he did play. Um I think the likelihood is he will still be here. And that is a big switch from what I was thinking a couple of months ago. Uh, But yeah, my gut says he he probably will still be come August, simply because uh, I, I, I still think it's difficult to move on a player like that. And I think he's sort of doing enough to warrant keeping him. But the only thing I would say is that when I look at this team and as much as I'm enjoying this team and the way it's performing right now, the fact that Aaron Ramsey is such a key component in it and to an extent, Ramsey and are being reintroduced, I, I haven't, this isn't a long-term proposition. You know, it feels like a team that's been built to play this way between now and the end of the season. And I still think there could be a bit of a reboot mm. in the summer. And I'll be interested to see which way that goes. I mean, it'll be a forced reboot in some respects because whatever happens, we're losing
1: Ramsey. Well, it was interesting to hear Emery talk during the week about how he's kind of come to understand Ramsey and Ozil over the course of the season. You know, and and what they can allow him to do from a tactical point of view. You know, Mm. whether it's starting with a different formation or switching to a different formation within the course of ninety minutes, you know, he was quite pointed about the impact that those two players have. So I don't know if I mean Ramsey's leaving. I don't know if as a club you can realistically find a Ramsey replacement and an Ozil replacement in the one summer. One -hmm. one thing is for sure, we need a Ramsey replacement. You know, that's a a hole in the squad that has got to be fixed by the transfer market. And there's talk of, you know, various players coming in. um, The PSG guy, Nkunku, uh, you know, his name is doing the rounds again. We need that kind of a midfielder, whether they're quite as versatile as Ramsey, but somebody who can bring that drive and energy to midfield is an absolute must. Because you you look at Neny, for example, you know, where's what's he going to do this summer? There's talk of him going to uh, Besiktas. So, you know, he, he's a player very much on the fringes. So we're losing Ramsey, probably Neny. So you've got to go out and get at least one midfield player. And I don't think that as a squad, if you've made your team not dependent but if you've if you've acknowledged the importance of players like Ramsey and Ozil and you're playing them week in week out now and it's having obviously positive results on the uh on the pitch yeah then I don't think you can do away with both of them in the summer Ramsey's going so I think Ozil will stay and do you think that will have a sort of budgetary
2: impact if that is what happens? Like, will that affect what we can spend? Maybe.
1: Maybe. Um, I, I don't know, though, if we should be that worried about it. Should we? Should we be that worried? I mean, there are other ways to get, you know, money off the wage bill. Uh, Ramsey's going. cheque is going. Yeah. Uh, who else is going? Wellbeck, uh, Wellbeck is going. You know, you, you're looking at maybe El Elneny going. You're looking at perhaps Jenkinson going. Maybe Callum Chambers. Callum Chambers like or, or Mustafi. You know, I think those are players who can come off the wage bill. Lichtsteiner will be off the wage bill. So mm-hmm. I think there are ways that we can cope better with Ozil's salary. But I think his salary becomes much less of an issue when he's playing as well as he is. Simple as that. Yeah. Your know, salary's only important when he's not playing well. Yeah, it's not getting talked about right now, is it? Because he's no. he's producing. Okay, here's a question from Christopher Wilmot on Facebook. He says, Matteo Genduzi, I've come to the view that his reading of the game, defensive positioning, and ability and ability to intercept are all very good. However, he's often weak slash cautious in the initial tackle, losing the ball despite getting to the ball. Is this something you've also seen?
2: Yes, actually. Mm. I I think he does a curious thing, Ganduzi, where he goes into tackles, where he does quite well to get there, but he goes into them a little bit... uh, Half-hearted, sort of, is sort of too emotional, but almost half... Like, his his physicality is not quite with, as it should be.
1: With not enough conviction, I think, might yes. be a good way of putting it.
2: Yes, I, I, exactly. I'm not accusing him of lacking heart. I think he's got plenty of that. But it almost, it's like he goes into the tackles, I don't know if he's sort of protecting himself or, or what it is, but he kind of doesn't really put his foot and use his body quite properly Uh, it feels like he goes into a lot of tackles where it looks like he's going to win the ball and then it ends up sort of a 50-50 and could go either way and I know his numbers are good in terms of challenges and ball recoveries and his use of the ball was really good last night I think he had far more passes than any other player on the Arsenal team but that is something that I have noticed and I wonder if that's just a bit of youth and inexperience maybe
1: (laughs) Maybe, yeah. Um, There was one in the second half where I think it ended with key shooting wide. I mean, it was not really a big chance or anything, but it came from a 50-50 close to the edge of our box where, again, he didn't go into it with the right amount of conviction. It was sort of half-hearted, that one. Um, Is it partly because he's sort of always half
2: expecting a referee's whistle it feels like to me
1: still that I I think that's still a bit of an issue and and what's really interesting is now teams are targeting him when he's got his back to the opposition and he's receiving the ball they're on him like like that. You know, they're mm. straight in the back of him and where I think I'd like to see some improvement in him is is in that situation that he still hasn't quite got to terms with how quickly players are going to put you under pressure in the Premier League. And when they do put you under pressure, you can't just fall over and expect a free kick to be given because it, you know, most of the time, most of the time it isn't. Ask Mesut Ozil, for example, he gets very frustrated by that and that's something that that uh, you know Ozil still um, struggles with a bit at times, but you know if you're playing in center midfield, you need to be stronger and you need when you're receiving the ball to be able to protect it. And I think that's a little bit of a weakness in his game. That was evident a few times last night. I think it's something that the opposition teams and coaches have noticed and that they are all, even Wren did it in the, the Europa League game. you know the minute he's receiving the ball there's somebody up his arse. And quite often it forces a turnover in favor of, of the opposition. So that's something I think he, he really needs to work on. I absolutely take the point about, you know, his work rate, his energy is fantastic. Um, his positioning is pretty good uh, when it comes to cutting off uh, passing lanes. I think to me, though, despite that, I sense an, an element of fatigue from Matteo Ganduzzi. At the moment, uh, his first touch last night was a bit off. And I think that's maybe just a side effect of him being at a point in the season where he's played probably more than he thought he was going to play and probably more than anybody thought he was going to play. You mm-hmm. know, uh, he's he's put in a lot for this team and he is still only 19 and there's a lot to like and a lot of potential. But I think we have to be realistic about what the physical demands of that are. Um, will uh, will do to his performances, right? It's yeah. not just about how far he can run or how fast he can run or whether he can chase back. It's the simple things that when you're feeling a bit tired, become more difficult, and more heavy-legged. And I think there was some evidence of that in his performance last night.
2: Yeah, I think he might be a bit mentally drained as well, to be honest. I mean, it's been a, a crazy season for him. I think he's far exceeded expectations. And I, I don't mean in any way to kind of, you know, tread on his potential. I think he's got enormous potential but this is an aspect of his game that he can definitely improve in and I think I actually thought I mean I know we've sort of been criticizing the referee but the referee it struck me had a bit of a sort of amnesty around Gunduzi last night he didn't blow up as often as Gunduzi was expecting and I'm not even saying that was correct but I think it might be good for him just because I feel like he sort of he buys a lot of free kicks, very soft free kicks. You know, yeah. He does a lot of sort of just falling to the ground as soon as he feels the presence of someone behind him. And the thing is, in the Premier League, you're not always going to get away with that. At some point, you've got to say, right, I've got to sort of dig my heels in, sort of stick my bum out, and you know, hold <laughs> the ball up here. I mean, literally, that is sort yeah. of what he always needs to do. He, he he kind of is would rather have the free kick than you know the turn and i sort of think he's got to get that out of his game because he's going to get caught sooner or later you cannot rely on the referee every time for it to go your way
1: yeah i hope that's something that they're working with him on the training ground because if it's apparent to me it must be apparent to them and you know if he can improve that area of the game or or his his game uh, you know it will improve him significantly as a player as well and again let's remember he is 19 He's really, really young and has come in from League 2 and, you know, for him to have had the impact he's had this season has been, been fantastic. But, you know, let's remember, not just us as fans, but, you know, let the manager remember and the coaching staff remember that this is where he is in his career. And that there are things that they're going to have to work with him on, uh, you know, on a regular basis, um, you know, to make him into the player we all hope he can be.
2: Cool, this question comes from Elroy, who's at Figgy Guna. And Elroy asked, what's your take on the Zubi links to Arsenal as technical director?
1: Um. I mean, it feels a bit... Two and two together? Yeah, a little bit sort of... Um, I don't want to say lazy, but it's Raul going back to Barcelona, isn't it? Mm. Um. I you know I saw some people say look we should get a technical director who really understands the the Premier League um and I think that's probably a good thing but yeah I don't know enough about the way that he's worked at Barcelona you see I th- I find it very hard um to judge uh, uh, a sporting director or a technical director when they're at a player uh, a club like um, Barcelona and of course he is uh, who is he is he is he with Marseille
2: he's with Marseille at yeah. the
1: moment how long has he been with Marseille
2: a couple of years I think I right think. Uh, let's have a look I'll have a look while you are thinking
1: on he, uh... on January fifth twenty fifteen Zaretta was sacked. As Barcelona director of football by the club president on October, October 2016, signed he with Ligo 2016. signed with Ligue 1 Marseille in the same capacity. Um, I mean, it's hard for me to know what kind of a job he's done there without really knowing the, the yeah the, the the kind of players that he's brought in.
2: It's uh, I know a little bit about uh, Strutman, his at Barcelona
1: Strootman. Balotelli. Okay.
2: Fingers Just, crossed we could get Balotelli out of this if yeah. we can, if
1: we like wow, it. Yeah, get, use those contacts. Uh, let's see, seventeen, eighteen. who's he brought in? Mitroglu, Luis Gustavo. Yeah, Both I don't... Both with Arsenal yeah, at one point in their career. I don't know enough about the players that he's brought into Marseille to have an opinion on him.
2: Yeah, I mean, at Barcelona, when he was sacked, he was widely criticised for his... Uh, for his transfer business. And uh, uh, to be honest, I'm a little bit confused exactly about what the delineation of re- responsibility was at Barcelona in that time. Because if you look at Raúl Signe's, uh CV, uh, as I did on LinkedIn the other day, <laughs> uh, it says sort of <laughs> director of football, uh, Barcelona. And Xavi Zaretta was also the director of football at Barcelona in that Period. Um, but I guess, the, you know, they're just slightly like variations on that theme. Zubi Zaretta seemed to be the guy who
1: was uh, heading up I, recruitment. You know what it was? Sanehi was director of football, but Zubi Zaretta was director of football. Ah,
2: right. So right, that's, right, that's right. how you figure it out. That does make sense. Um, so his time at Barcelona was sort of uh, marred by some... Some seemingly unsuccessful signings A couple will be familiar to Arsenal fans Thomas van Marlen Alex Song (laughs) Uh, (laughs) They were some of his less successful deals He bought and sold Alexis Sanchez for Barcelona So uh, we had dealings with him in that case I mean, look, he was also part of uh, the deals to sign Rakitic, Luis Suarez Uh, Tostegan, which was initially seen as a flop but he's now established himself as first choice there so maybe not such a bad deal looking back Um, so it it was kind of an interesting period but Barcelona had other problems I think beyond him at that time I think you also make a point you know this is not Barcelona this is not Barcelona if he comes to Arsenal he's punching at a different level you know and I think it would be a very different challenge yeah
1: there's not the same margin for error is there
2: no. I mean, I know he's got the relationship with here, and I think that, that means his candidacy is probably real. You know, th- it would be surprising if he wasn't someone considered by Sanye, just given... And, there's you know, it, you don't want to be too shorthanded about it, but I suppose the Spanish thing, you know, the fact that they were looking at Monchi, another Spaniard, and maybe Zubi might be next on the list. I was uh, more intrigued, let's say, by the links to the guy uh, from Lille, uh, what's Luis his name? Campo. L- yes, I believe that's his name. Is that is, is that definitely his name? I've suddenly panicked. Yes, Luis Campos. That's right. And he intrigues me more because he, of course, is the guy who was at Monaco when they made was it like the Champions League semi-finals? Mm. Uh, the team that had you know Mbappe, Bernardo Silva, Lamar. Fabinho, Bakayoko, Mendy, these kinds of players. And he did a particularly interesting job because he was brought to Monaco. He'd been chief scout under Jose Mourinho at Real Madrid. Uh, But then he went to Monaco when they had an awful lot of money, you know, when they bought the likes of Falcao uh, and James Rodriguez. He was brought in to kind of mastermind that project. What happened was the plug essentially got pulled financially and they had to massively recalibrate their expectations. And he stayed there. And helped construct that team that not only was very effective in in Ligue 1 and in the Champions League but was also incredibly lucrative for that club and sort of funded the next phase of their regeneration and spending and I think the work he's done at Lille uh, has been by all accounts sort of similarly mm. structured so... In terms of the profile and the experience, I'd say he's someone who maybe appeals to me more than yeah. more than a zoo is arata.
1: Yeah, for sure. It feels like a job for a Ralph's mate, kinda to me. Yeah. Um, But, you know, we'll we'll wait and see. A couple of quick ones here. We had a load of people asking about this because there were transfer links to this player uh, during the weekend. So, uh, M.L. Shazley, who's at M.L. Shazley, says, Rumours regarding Ryan Fraser. Thoughts? Uh, Dumola Adewumni wouldn't me sorry De- at Dem's eighty seven. Rumours of Bournemouth's Ryan Fraser being a potential summer target. Your thoughts, Wayne Wrights at Wayne underscore Wrights opinions on Ryan Fraser. What do you think of Ryan Fraser?
2: <laughs> uh, I like Ryan Fraser. I think he's a really talented player. He's got ten assists in the Premier League this season, which is not to be sniffed at. Six goals too. Uh, he's twenty five. You know, it's not a name that's going to have people, you know, j- rushing down to the club shop to get the the name printed on their shirt. But I think he's a pretty effective wide player. I also think David Brooks is a really exciting player at Bournemouth as well. Um, but you know, I suppose it's one of those signings that maybe it feels a bit more Europa League than Champions League.
1: Yeah, yeah, that's kind of what I was going to say.
2: Yeah, but. Players have got to make that step eventually. And I do think that he's a good dribbler. He's a good crosser. He can play on both flanks. You know, we're we're losing Danny Welbeck, a player who can play in both wide areas this summer. I, I wouldn't be averse to it. I wouldn't be averse to it. I'm not sure he's someone who walks into the team and suddenly, you know, takes us up a level. But mm. I think he would be a useful player for the squad. I think... If you said to me you can keep Dennis Suarez or you can have Ryan Fraser, I would genuinely have Ryan Fraser. Uh,
1: Yeah, yeah, I guess so. But that's kind of like saying here's a cheese sandwich or a handful of dirt.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Sure, sure. Uh, I mean, I I just feel a bit for Dennis Suarez. I thought yesterday he might get an outing, you know, especially having been with the squad, you know, during the international break and played in Dubai and all that, I thought mm. maybe this might be his time, uh, but it wasn't. Was no,
1: it? I, look, I think during the course of this month, he is going to get some playing time and at that point we can make a uh, a more reasonable assessment of what kind of a player he is. I, you know, I don't see any way that, you know, we, we can make this deal permanent based on what Barcelona want for the player. You know, if after two months now, he's not, you know, he's not starting games or he's not coming on as a substitute, you know, I think he's basically just, I think he's backup safety net for fixture congestion at this point of the season. And I think that's kind of all he is. And if he can make a contribution, brilliant, you know, and if he doesn't. Eh, no harm done we send him back in the summer and he can go on his merry way and, and uh, enjoy his career but I had a, another question here oh just quickly
2: go on. on Ryan Fraser sorry I was, I was just going to say I was just looking more into the numbers I mean Bournemouth only scored 43 Premier League goals he's set up a quarter of them 10 assists this season in, in the league only Eden Hazard has more assists he's joint second with Christian Eriksen on 10 I do think that that suggests a level of productivity that maybe that shows he could go
1: to another level yeah. maybe but it could also be like a an assisty Michael Ricketts of a season you know
2: maybe I, I think I think that's a bit harsh I think Frazier's a better player than that but okay we've have we got have we got to play that I know we've played them twice have we now
1: yeah we have yeah, played we have. them twice I mean he always has the face of a man who's just trying to you know squeeze out that last bit of a poo
2: <laughs> yeah that that goes against him yeah sure
1: so, okay, on, on that balance, maybe not. All right. Uh, the other question comes from Concordia AFC, who says, uh, he's at Concordia underscore AFC, who's the best player you'd be happy to sell this summer in order to properly strengthen in areas with more need? <sighs> the best player. Mm-hmm. That's a very hard question. Um, it is, isn't it? You know, considering what we just spoke about, Mesut Ozil, and what we just said. I'm probably going to say something upsetting. Go on.
2: Uh, I, I no, a lot of names spring to mind. I mean, Mesut Ozil is, is potentially the player I'd be most prepared to sell. Right. In other areas. Because, you know, he's arguably the best player in this squad, the best footballer in this squad, you know, in terms of talent i don't think there's anyone better but i do wonder if just in terms of the redistribution of the salary you know if you could sell him for something like his market value then i think i probably
1: would be prepared to do that to kind of Mm. change this team up um what about you yeah, I mean, I can see the logic in that. You know, in Ozil, if you were to get $30 million or or $35 million for him mm-hmm. and you take that money off the wage bill, which could then be redistributed, et cetera, et cetera, I think I would probably be prepared to do that. But given I just said, you know, we can't let Ozil and Ramsey go yeah. in the one summer, then I'm going to have to go a slightly different direction. And I would go for – who would I go for – if I could sell one player, who's the best player I would sell? Maybe Mikatarian. Okay, yeah. Because I think, you know, he, he has been quite good recently, but in general, since he's arrived, he's been okay, but not particularly brilliant and not necessarily worth the... Um, worth the money that we're paying him from a wages point of view we also swapped him for Sanchez so anything that we get for him would be basically profit so if we were to get 20 million pounds or 25 million pounds for Henrik Mkhitaryan I think I, I think he would be the guy
2: yeah I think that's a decent shout as well although I think he's been you know very good in the last few in the last few weeks and I'm un- probably unlucky to not be mm. starting every single game at the moment
1: Uh, Have you got any more? Have I got any more? Yeah, uh, I think so. I think so. Um, Okay, Stefan Poor, who's at Stebby79, says, many pundits make their predictions based on past seasons, but every year it's the surprises that make or break a season. What are your top three AFC surprises of this particular season?
2: Surprises? Mm. Um, Well, Ginduzi would have to be in there. That's been a massive surprise to me, Mm. I think. Quite how quite how much he's played, quite what a boon to the squad he's been. Um uh, becoming this massive attacking threat, I think is a surprise to me. I didn't foresee that. I know we saw signs of it last season, but not with this level of consistency. Um, mm. I'm, I'm sort of talking in terms of players. Is that sort of the am I on yeah, the right line? I think for this? so. I think so. Well, I think I, I would have to say I've been surprised by the consistency of Bern Leno in that case uh, and quite how comfortably he's established himself as number one. I thought maybe a bit, it'd be a bit more of a sort of back and forth battle between him and Petr Cech. But, you know, as soon as Leno got in, he pretty much made the, the gloves his own. So. Yeah, I think they would be the three for me. What about you?
1: Well, I mean, I, I think Lauren Koscielny coming back to play at the oh, level that he's shot. come back at is is definitely a surprise, you know, given the seriousness of the injury, uh, you know, to, to see him back and and playing. A bit worrying, perhaps, that he is uh, that he is uh, struggling a little bit or, or had to pull out at the last minute. So hopefully there's nothing serious there. Uh, I, I would agree with you. Leno is another one who's been a bit of a surprise. Um what else what else has been a surprise? Is Ramsey going to Juventus? Is that a surprise to me? Not sure if it is. Um yeah, not particularly. Let's see. I mean, nothing else has been that surprising, you know, in terms of in terms of the players. Emery's technical tactical technical tactical flexibility, I suppose, is a little bit of a not a surprise, but something we've had to we've had to get used to. Um Torreira can I go a different direction a little bit with Uh you know when he came through and started to make an impact in the team we were all wowing and I'm a little bit surprised that his season has plateaued a bit is that fair? Mm. Do you think no that's- I think that personally I think that is fair I mean actually
2: uh, I this I mean I'm going to take stick for this but when you were saying who's the best player you might sell he was one of the names in my mind Ooh. just because I think he's really good I think he's really good but you know if if someone came in this summer you know let's say Barcelona had seen enough of him and they thought we like Torreira we're going to have him for 50 million or 60 million or something mm. like that I, I, I wouldn't necessarily turn my nose up at it uh, I, I think he's a really important player and I think maybe next season we'll see more from him and see the best of him. But definitely in the second half of the season, he's, his role has faded a fair bit. Uh, and uh, yeah, it's a, it's a curious one. I mean, I don't, I sort of can't quite put my finger on how and when it happened, but it, it It did. If you think about when he scored against Spurs in the 4-2 win, was that October, November? And, you know, he just felt like such an integral part of the team at that point. And then yesterday we played a game and there have been a few games recently where we've played without him and he hasn't been enormously missed.
1: Yeah, I mean, Uh, look, he he can't play again until the Watford game. So, um, you know, he'll miss the, the Everton game at the weekend, but he can play against Napoli in the, in the Europa league. I kind of hope or wonder if the suspension, while you never want to see a player out or suspended might have come at a reasonable time for him. I, I noticed, uh, I think during the international break, he didn't play a great deal for Juventus or for Uruguay. He right. was on the bench for a couple of their games. So maybe there's something going on physically that we're not quite aware of. Um, but you know i just thought that was a little bit of a surprise given he's sort of established himself so well in the team uh, and i'm not saying he's played badly or anything like it but not quite at the same level because everyone was going this is the guy this is who arsenal have been missing and now look you know he's 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 not quite he's not quite there so um maybe he can give us a good surprise between now and the end of the season
2: yeah, exactly. And it's not to write him off at all. I think, you know, he's a, a player in a new league and it's definitely been physically demanding for him, especially playing in that kind of style. Um, but I think it is it is fair to say he's plateaued a little bit, you know, in terms of the progress he was making early on. Hmm. Okay. Uh, I'm actually all out of questions, but I'm happy to answer more if you've got them.
1: Um, okay, let me have a look here uh, and see. I'm not sure I've got too many left. Okay, here's one from Jez at JCAFC1. Uh, mm. <laughs> he says, UEFA Cup or third question? UEFA Cup, which of course is the Europa League. Um, he says, our European record is abysmal and winning that trophy would help. It would also mean top seed for uh, Champions League draw. What would you prefer? He said, both also good. But if you had to choose between finishing third and winning the Europa League, what would you choose? Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? Because people, you know, one, one is a
2: trophy. One is a piece of silverware. And that's what's really going for the Europa League. But there is still something a bit uh, League cuppy about it you know where it's sort of a trophy but do you get the credit you deserve I've never seen Arsenal win a European trophy you know not Mm. well at least I can't remember it since the early 90s which I have sort of dim memories of so I think so that's that's what's pulling me maybe in that direction but actually I think in terms of our development and in terms of what it would mean to finish above Spurs I think I am going to have to go for Third.
1: yeah wow you? trophy mm. trophy I can see what you're saying and the benefits of you know um, we could still finish above Spurs because it said third or trophy you could finish fourth and there's every chance that Tottenham could finish outside the top four um, uh-huh. and I, I know what you mean about you know measuring the progress over 38 games but winning a European trophy is not something this club has done too many times. No. Also, winning, uh, you know, we, we look like we're going to get back to, or we're in a good position to get back into the Champions League. I can't see us, as much as we all want to be there, I can't see us winning the Champions League. No. So, on that basis, our chances of winning a European trophy are slim, as long as we're playing Champions League football. Whereas this feels like an achievable thing. I mean, you
2: say that, Andrew, all we need to do is go out in the group stage and we'll be back in the Europa League. Lovely. Yeah. Have a, have a crack at that with the Champions League squad. <laughs> uh, I, I, yeah, it, it's actually, I think, a, a genuinely... Some people might say it's simple, you've got to take the trophy. I think it's a little bit more tricky than that. Uh, I, I'm being swayed by your argument, but because I sort of forgot that if we win the Europa League, we can still finish fourth. Um, I mean we could do both we could finish third and win the Europa League I mean that's definitely my idea
1: yeah of course (laughs) the
2: the problem is as well if you choose not to win the Europa League you know you do run the risk of losing a final to Chelsea which would be very very painful yeah but you could also beat Chelsea in a final
1: which would be fucking amazing yeah yeah that's true even if it's a European final it feels a bit weird it it would be weird and I wouldn't like it and I'd hate every minute of it or the build up and the match itself but if we won it would be amazing Mm. um you know, there's every chance it might not be Chelsea too. Uh so right now I'm more confident of
2: finishing third than I am of winning the Europa League. Yeah. I would say.
1: Certainly finishing top four. Yeah. Um but if it came right down to it, if you asked me right now to choose between winning the Europa League and finishing third, I would I would take the Europa League. For sure. For sure. Okay. I mean you you know, you can you can enjoy finishing third. And we can all point and laugh at Tottenham and go, ha ha. You know, you were so far ahead of us. St. Totteringham's Day, it's happened again, all that stuff. But you can't really, really celebrate it the way that you can a trophy. You know, it's 1994 since we last won a European trophy. And mm. I know people can say, ah, it's you know, it's not the trophy everybody wants. That's fine. But remember those FA Cup days. You know, remember Not winning true. those trophies and how good it felt, and you know um, just how how it really affected the mood of everybody in a really positive way. I think finishing third would do that to an extent, but it would wear off much more quickly than actually winning a, a European trophy and having that trophy to put on the on the the you know in the trophy cabinet. Um, for me, there's, yeah, for me, no, no no, choice. It would be the trophy every time.
2: I hope we get both. That's what I hope.
1: Yeah, I do too, but we were just talking I, about, I, you know.
2: I'm wary, I'm wary. I, I, to be honest, I think it, I think it's quite unlikely to get both, genuinely. I think sort of the deeper we go in the Europa League, the more it might begin to impact the league. But
1: mm, Okay.
2: We shall see. We, we it's should. a very tricky period coming up, isn't it, with the Napoli games and... You know the yeah. couple of away games in the Premier League.
1: Yeah, the away games are going to be the thing. You know, Emery's talking about making sure the team is, or tries to replicate some of the home form away. Um, you know, if we can do even a little bit better away from home, I think we've got a good chance. But we're going to need to. We're going to need to make sure that we keep this run going. I feel more confident, James, now than I did, you know, five or six weeks ago. That's for sure. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely, several times more. Mm. Okay. Well, I think on that kind of positive, upbeat note, we should leave it there for this week. Um, everybody who listens, thank you very much indeed. If you feel like mm. giving us a review on iTunes, that would be great. Um, if you don't, that's also fine. Don't worry about it. We will have another AskCast on Friday. Uh, looking ahead to the Everton game on Sunday. So join me for that. We'll be back uh, next Monday with another Arsecast Extra. So until then, bye-bye.